But yeah, I laughed my ass off at Modoc. And I shouldn't have. Like, I was mad at myself for being so entertained <laughs> by the Modoc character. What's up, podcast? We fashion ourselves cinematic judge and jury. My name is JJ Carter. I'm here with my co-hosts, Matt Sineiner. Better read indeed. And Alec Burgess. <laughs> Let's get it. We appreciate you tuning in. Go ahead, hit that follow, subscribe, like, bell, notification buttons. Tell a friend about us. Tell your sister about us. Cousins. Yeah, just tell everybody about us. Help us grow the podcast. We appreciate it. Uh, grandmas. Grandmas are always good. My, my if your grandma grew cool, up in so. like New York or like New Jersey, probably like the Northeast, like the, we're probably right there <laughs> with them. It's probably hard as fuck. But like if they're from like South Carolina, like a Southern Belle, probably maybe not. Yeah, we might might get you in trouble at that point. <laughs> Which could be fun anyway. I don't know. Depends on how you feel about. Like if you want to, if they're like ninety something, you're just ready for them to go. Maybe you have them listen to us. <laughs> wow. Okay. But I mean, that might do it, you know, whatever. God, I love it. So we're here to talk about Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. It was released February 17th, 2023. It was written by Jeff Loveness and Jack Kirby. It was directed by Peyton Reed. It stars Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly, Michael Douglas, Michelle Pfeiffer, Catherine Newton, Bill Murray, I guess, William Jackson Harper, Jamie Andrew Cutler, and Jonathan Majors. And Scott Lang and Hope Van Dyne, along with Hank Pym and Janet Van Dyne, explore the quantum realm where they interact with strange creatures and embark on an adventure that goes beyond the limits of what they thought was possible. You know, it's one of those uh, synopses that makes this movie so much more interesting than it actually is. I love, so I, I, for the first time ever before I saw this, like I read a review about it. Oopsie. And I'm going to steal what they called it, which was aggressively mediocre. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty accurate. Not going to lie. Yeah. I mean, because it wasn't like I didn't have a whole lot of problems with it, but I didn't have a whole lot of good to say about it either necessarily. It just was. Yeah, it is that kind of movie, isn't it? Like, I was entertained at time. Damn, rocking the RC. That's old school right there. No sponsor, but, you know, <laughs> I liked it. Um, I don't know. This was, like, kind of a conundrum movie for me. Like, did I like it? Not really. Did I hate it? Not really. Like, there were parts that made me laugh. Surprisingly enough, and we'll talk more about him, I'm sure, but Modoc made, like, crack my shit up. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Because it was a ridiculously great take and a much better backstory than the actual comic Modoc. And so it was entertaining and it made me laugh. And like Darren Lee, I like Darren Lee in the first one, but that's probably because I like Corey Stoll so much, the actor that plays him. So, and to Madsen's point, he's been saying this for a while now. It was like Marvel filler. Yeah. Well, okay. And I, I don't want to get into this yet because it's it's highly speculative on my part but i think that this movie is a little deeper than they give it credit for the problem is is marvel just screwed it up gotcha like i say with all these marvel marvel's trying to do the next thing and this movie was is and very important to the next future of marvel because we get introduced to kane the conqueror here being aka jonathan majors who i should say i did hear he was really good in this movie he was good 
I liked his character. I liked the depth, the rage, the sophistication, the complexity to his character. I thought that was really well presented. I thought he, I was excited. I read an article about him trying to approach it kind of like Keith Ledger did. And that to me, I was like, okay, like, I mean, let's not go down the same path per se, but I like where your mind's at to really get into the, to a villain. Besides that though, I still didn't feel like this is a grand kickoff to someone that the MCU universe needs to be truly afraid of because said person was defeated by a bunch of super technological ants. And I, I don't, I, it, the setup for it just doesn't feel magnificent and grand in the way that I know as a user, it's supposed to land for me. And I'm troubled by that because Marvel's been continuously trying to do this for the last, what, three to five movies that I've seen. And I feel like we're still stuck in the same rut where we're getting a lot of filler. They're leaning on an old character like Ant-Man. And I don't know if this is the character to kick off the new universe, but I'm concerned still. They haven't given me anything. I, the faith is not there. Like I feel like I've kind of really run out with my long leash for them. For the first time ever, I'm going to agree with Matson. <laughs> and I know you've mentioned this before, Matson, specifically with the Marvel villains, which is what I think rubbed on me again with this movie is they beat Kane, right? Or a version of Kane. But you can go back to Thor, Love and Thunder. You have Christian Bale coming as Gore the God Butcher, great villain, and he's dead after the end of the movie. And so you don't have these same kind of rollout with Thanos in the phase one or whatever it was that they did, where you see little glimpses of him, but he's not a major part of the movie until way further down the line. Yeah, and Kang is, so this is where probably an appropriate moment to talk a little bit more about Kang. And Kang is a complicated villain in that, as we see in the post credit scene, there's a lot of Kangs. And all of them, regardless, are dangerous now they're all they're not all king the conqueror level dangerous but they're all dangerous and the weird part is is there's not so bad versions like there there is a version that i can't give away because it might really mess with future stuff but here's what i'm gonna tell you the king the conqueror that we saw in a man guy's not dead and to take it one step further my theory is everything that happened in this movie he wanted to happen in this movie and to take that theory a step further scott lang is not in the real reality or a normal what happened down there changed the timeline because when he comes mm. back and he's in his little loop like things are different why all of a sudden do these people remember ant-man because he was down in the quantum realm nobody knows about the damn quantum realm they're not out running stories on the fact that they just saved the quantum realm and they just beat mm -hmm. Kang the Conqueror down there. And yet, all of a sudden, there's paintings of Ant-Man's face on the wall. There's people stopping and knowing exactly who he is when in the beginning of this thing, we didn't. And then he has that weird little glitch moment in his brain where he's like, did I just make things worse? Did I just blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And then to add to that theory, Kang the Conqueror, the version of Kang the Conqueror, the second post credit scene where you see Loki and Mobius again from the Loki show. And they're in the what looks like 1930s, 40s, 20s, whatever it is. That is a, a version of Kang named Victor Timely. And spoiler alert, in the comics, that is Kang the Conqueror in hiding. Okay. He builds this entire 
civilization or city, whatever, however you want to go about it, that looks in the comics eerily similar to what he builds in the quantum realm that's hidden in this time frame. And then eventually what happens is, is this council of Kangs that we see at the end in the mid credit scene, these guys come out and they start this multiversal war that's creating incursions, that's destroying universes, destroying multiverse entities. It's big fights against everybody. All the while, Victor Timely's just chilling in his timeline, building his strength. And then he comes back and they go into this, it gets really ugly. And he comes in and he's going to wreck shop. So my guess is this new Loki, the season two of Loki is going to introduce us to Victor Timely, obviously, who eventually, if they follow a similar storyline to the comics, will be, be Kang the Conqueror, who's probably there due to the fact that he got sucked into his ship, which I still think was exactly what he wanted to have happen. So whether it seems like that or not, and I think that there's whatever timeline or universe our Ant-Man is in at the end or whatever is where Victor Timely is in a different time frame. But Jay, you just took like a solid two minutes to give us an interesting story that as a watcher and not a reader of deep lore comics, I think, you know, the problem we are stepping into because while that is great, that's a problem. Yeah. It's a huge problem. And it, you know, and you and I talked about this last night, like or yesterday it was, it's, Look, King the Conqueror is an interesting villain, and Jonathan Majors is a major actor that's killing it as King the Conqueror. But the problem is, is you unless you're like me, and you're either willing to do some deep dive research that probably gives away some of the storyline for what Marvel's doing, or you've read the comics to the level that you understand who Kang is and his different variants and and all that stuff, like it doesn't make sense for someone that enjoys Marvel. And to me, that was the biggest issue outside the fact it's just a mediocre movie. Even if a lot of what made the first phase and second phase even of Marvel so good is that as standalone movies, they were still fun to watch. They're getting further and further from that. Yeah, the last, I don't know, I guess the last two, because it wasn't the last one we did, Thor, Love and Thunder. It's the last one I remember anyway. Black Panther was in there. Oh, that's fair. And Black Panther was good. I liked that one. But Black Panther was the first only standalone that I feel like I'd return to watch again. Everything since it's just been kind of maybe Spider-Man, maybe. Maybe. But Black Panther also, to your point, was separated from whatever. It wasn't embedded in deep phase Mm -hmm. four lore. You know what I mean? So it, it stood alone because it didn't rely on the phase role mentality or whatever our big, weird, multiversal issue is that we've got going on right now. So yeah, it's just frustrating because it shouldn't be this where we're at. And then they also make the mistake of like pulling in a Bill Murray just because he makes a phone call to the, the actress who plays Scott Lang's daughter. Like it's such a waste of a freaking, like it was dumb. It was pointless. And I knew it would be from seeing the previews. I was like, it's going to be stupid. I thought that scene kind of just, I felt all about Bill Murray. I'm like, well, what's this movie about? Like he just put him on screen to be like, oh my God, there's Bill Murray in a Marvel movie. But that's the whole point. Then why are we doing it? Yeah. Because Jeff Goldblum got to do it. And Bill Murray was jealous. Pretty much. <laughs> that's pretty but at much least Jeff it. Goldblum's character like felt like he belonged in that world. And it made sense. Like 
been like, it's just so yeah. random. I wasn't I buying Bill Murray as a freedom fighter. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't even buying him as somebody who got his ass beaten is all of a sudden scared and working for the enemy. So, like, but isn't that isn't that Marvel's kind of problem. They're trying to do the same tricks that they did before because that's what a lot of these movies and companies try to do, whether movies or just companies in general, like rinse and repeat what works. But in movies especially, you start to pay the price for that because that's why most sequels, most prequels, trilogies, franchises, at some point they get diluted because what you were doing then that made you famous isn't going to carry you forward into the new age. And I continue just to question... My faith is completely gone in this ability for Marvel to get back to what they did with Thanos. And I don't think it's going to be the same. I think they found it. And I think people, they've built enough equity, enough people can watch. But I, I don't think in this installment, it's going to be what it was before. Yeah. So, JJ, here's a question for you. Mm-hmm. As our resident comic book nerd, mm-hmm. does King ever have like anybody working for him under Lean's Minions? Or is he always doing it on his own? It's just a different version of him. Uh, he's always kind of doing his own. Like, he's got the tech. Like, he had, like you see the guys wrapped up in the similar suits to what he was wearing. and Like, so he has minions, but yeah. he doesn't have anybody like Thanos had, like, the children of Thanos. Like, his his little group that comes down and prior to him in Infinity War and they're fighting the heroes. Like, he doesn't have anybody like that. It's always... And here's, I was telling Matson last night too, the pro, the other problem with Kang is, and, and it's only a problem for Kang, is that Kang's his own worst enemy. Yeah. Because each one of his variants has its own agenda. It's not like, even the Council of Kangs, like when they're there and they're, they're still always, each one of them has their own agenda and they want success in their own way and they have their own reasons for doing what they're doing. And one, that's part of the reason that in the comics, Kang is a compelling villain because there's this one that stands out, right? There's one that is worse than the others, but he's always his own worst enemy. He's always in his own way because, well, the different versions of him anyway. And there's, you know, there's the major ones. Like we saw in the mid-credit scene, the three that technically lead the Council of Kangs. So you have the Egyptian that's Ramatut, and I can't think of the old one, what his name is. And then the other one in the weird suit, which was blue and there's the scarlet sentinel which made no sense because he was he's blue, blue. <laughs> I, but i i think that's what they were aiming at is he's a version of the scarlet sentinel and i don't know why i can't think of the third one the old man he's the oldest and technically most powerful of the kangs and this is a good idea to see so ramatut is a version of kang that goes back in time to ancient egypt becomes a pharaoh slash god pharaoh and that's the kind of thing that most of these kings have is they want, like him, to go find a place where they rule. They're kind of like Loki in that way, right? And even if you've watched the Loki show, spoilers for the Loki show, you meet the one that's called, they call the He Who Remains, who is in charge of this, the timeline that we've been on up until the end of the Loki show that is technically not necessarily a bad guy, not necessarily a good guy but he's been keeping the other Kangs at bay with this timeline and using the time variance uh, organization and the TVA, whatever. So most of the Kangs have a single purpose and it's for themselves, deeply narcissistic, but Kang the Conqueror wants it all. That's the difference between them. And he's willing to go to whatever length to take. 
The other thing with Kang is he's just super smart. Like that's his thing. And he's from like the 31st century or whatever. He's a direct descendant of Reed Richards, who's the John Krasinski character in the Multiverse of Madness. And he gets obsessed with the past and he finds time travel tech that was made by Dr. Doom back in the day, who was his great, 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 great grandfather's main villain, right? With the Fantastic Four. And then he uses it to become this time traveling dude. And then he, like he talked about in this movie, he's just kind of a dude out of time. So he, he can travel, he can do whatever, but he's all reliant on tech. So you notice at the end of this movie, when his suit gets broken, he doesn't have his quote unquote powers. Like he's shooting the beams and he's got the shield that he can create and all this, all that's tech. That's what makes him powerful is he, he's a genius, like ridiculous level genius He's also traveled through time, so he knows a lot. And he has this tech that allows him to seem like he's superpowered. So all of those things combined make him a really dangerous villain in the Marvel comic universe. And while Jonathan Majors is doing a great job playing him, and I find it interesting just to add a point to this guy, he hasn't watched Ant-Man and the Wasp, even at the premiere. And the reason for that is he's like, I don't want my performance in this movie to dictate or change how I might play the character in the future. And I, I like, like that. That's cool. So yeah, but that's when, when you watch yourself, when you watch yourself act, you're like, well, it will, it will influence. Like, Ooh, I don't, I don't like what I'm doing there. I got to think about that next time if I'm doing it and, and it's going to be different. Yeah. I respect his approach. Yeah. Oh, Immortus. I was, that's a, Immortus is the old, version yeah okay interesting so it would have been weird if because they kind of have been dancing around this multiverse Mm -hmm. right for quite some time a lot of it's in the tv shows that they've been putting out would have been weird or do you guys think it would have made the movie better if we had like another king hop in near the end to either help out king the conqueror or help out scott lang i just hate further introduce it in Marvel, if this dude's so powerful and you just showed me he can be beaten by a bunch of high-tech ants, I already have the thing where I'm like, they're going to deal with the, he seems super OP'd, and then he got beaten by ants, and then he became a mere mortal, and I just, I hate that. I If he's as good as he is, why do you already weaken him to a point where now I don't, I'm like, all right, well, he's, but then he's like, I've killed Avengers. I'm like, well, you got beat by ants, so what did you do? I don't like that. Like, I didn't love if they need to knock him down, like you have to do at some points, make it be in a different way. Like, I just don't love that he got lowered to be a common man or again, or whatever he is. And now later he's going to be the superhuman again. I'm like, well, like, let me just get some ants again. <laughs> well, and I think that's the part where I say that it's, I think it's important. And this is something that they should have made more obvious that I really believe like he didn't get beat because you have to remember what his, What's his ultimate goal is to get out of the, he wanted out of there. And if he's out of quantum realm, that's all that matters to him. So he wins. And while he may, it may seem like he was defeated. He got out of the quantum realm. We know he's got, we know he's not dead because it says at the end of the movie, Kang will return. So it's not going to be just the Kang variants. And we see the council of Kangs, Kang, the conqueror, this version of him is, the guy in the comics. Like there's a reason that all the other Kangs were like, let's get rid of this guy. Right. Because he's 
a nightmare for all of them. He's a nightmare for everybody. He's already talked about beating Avengers. He kills Thor, a version anyway. So when you look at him, yes, he got beat by ants. Yes, he got, he technically lost in a fist fight to Ant-Man and the Wasp in a way. But all of it, once he realized he wasn't just going to be able to get his ship to leave, the guy, he changed his tack. Then when his, when Modoc came out and rocked him for a second, he changed his tack again. And he even leaned into to Scott saying, you think you've won. And he says, oh, we got, I don't need to win. I just need both of us to lose. And then it became, he played right into Kang's hands. And I think that's the part that they didn't do a good enough job showing. My opinion, the end credit scene and should have shown, leave the scars on Lively or do something that indicates that Victor Lively is actually this version of Kang so that we see that he's out. And he's not in the multi in the quantum realm anymore. And we see that because now you can say, mm, did he mean to get pushed into that core? Did he, you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm with you because it seems like he just got his ass kicked by a bunch of ants when in reality, he just, yep. They just threw a curveball at him and he had to change his tactic. And I, I agree with you because you, you're, you're saying he's smart and all these things and it probably makes sense. But what you're also saying, they didn't execute in the way no. that me as a, you know, the, everything you're saying, you know, it's private because you know, the deep lore, you know, how yeah. smart he is, you know, that probably part of it. But 90% of the people that are watching this movie that Marvel needs to be bought in just saw this super villain get defeated by ants and get sucked into this court. Yeah. He's coming back, but that perception is in my brain. So the next time I see him, I'm like, well, okay, you're now you're going to fight like eight Avengers and you're telling me that you're good. Mm-hmm. That's the part I have a problem with. Yeah, no, I get it. Like I said, they did not do King to conquer any favors in this movie because they made him seem weak and maybe they change it up. I don't know. Maybe they go with, this isn't a version of the conquer. Maybe they just called him the conquer in the quantum row. I don't know. Maybe they swap it out and there's a different version of him that's coming. Maybe that's the Victor Timely. I don't know. But whatever it is, they didn't write it well enough and execute it well enough to make it effective. It's just not, which is sad because he's a great villain with a great story and he's he's terrifying. When you read the comics, like you just, you're like, there's no way. I mean, at the end of it all, and again, spoiler alerts for what's coming or what I think's coming, at least in part, based on the movies that they've announced. And and the guy pretty much creates such a big problem that almost in every every universe in the multiverse gets destroyed except one. And it ends wow. up with like duplicates of all of our heroes, like different variants in a place called Battle World, where they're basically fighting to decide which one of the variants survives. I mean, it's just like, yeah, I mean, it gets ugly. I mean, the guy's no joke, but I'm, yeah, again, it's just, it shouldn't have been an Ant-Man movie. Even the first, the first Ant-Man was funny as hell. And it was great because it was interesting. It was new. Great movie. The second Ant-Man was, eh, but the third Ant-Man, this one was, it just, it should have not been, he's just not serious enough of a character. He's just not. And I have no buy into him. The Baskin Robbins part, like what? Yeah, in the they, core or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, I thought that was funny. It was <laughs> funny. Oh, no, I laughed. Like, like, I laughed, but like when you look at it from an objective movie standpoint, like at some point, just because it, it's funny doesn't mean it actually should be 
where it, they place. Like I was like, what the, everyone else is in the suit. And he's like, I get it. It's like the Ant-Man type of humor, but it became, at some points it became one too many. Yeah. Well, and it was silly humor. Like there's a difference between a well-placed joke and then this just not making sense. It just pulls you out of the movie, in my opinion. And don't get me wrong. Like I laughed a lot every time he showed up. I was like, that's funny. But it just wasn't necessarily the appropriate moment for that particular joke, I think, because that's supposed to be a pretty serious. Moment. Well, they just they had a lot of moments like where the that weird alien that didn't have holes, but then had holes. And that was like <laughs> like that was one of the funniest moments for me. But when this movie in like the the whole Darren thing, which was pretty funny throughout the movie. But when you've got enough of that, yeah. it becomes too much where if we're, this is such a serious movie about King and what's happening. I didn't like the balance. It, those, some of those moments were very funny. I laughed. I and mean, you know, you guys are like, Oh, Batson doesn't like it. They were funny, yeah. but I do have a problem with Marvel these days where like, sometimes I need a little bit more DC. And it, back to your point. Now that I'm thinking about more Jay, like John, the majors was great, but the more I think about it, they really didn't do well at all. Like the only reason it was good is because Jonathan majors acted the shiz out of that character. But other than that, like, this movie didn't feel serious at all for who this super arch villain is. And maybe that was by design, but I don't think it was. Yeah. And I think the other thing that I had an issue with this movie is that they had a really good chance to have there be some serious stakes to this movie and they didn't run with it. And again, I get it from the other side of this perspective, the stakes are there. We just don't recognize it unless you pay a little bit of attention. And the fact that the timeline that Scott Lang is in at the very end of this movie, I swear to you is different. And I don't think it's a completely different universe. I just think the timeline's different. Something changed. Something major has changed in this timeline. And we just don't know it yet or how it's going to impact everything. The problem with that is they set up a, what could have been a really good, good and I get they backed themselves in a corner because at the end of the day, you could have had Ant-Man and the Wasp stuck in the quantum realm, right? After she makes this sacrifice play to come and save him. But then you're, you're stuck yourself in the same place that you did for Endgame with they got to bring him back, right? You don't have Evangeline Lilly and Paul Rudd on contract just to leave them in the quantum realm. Or you bring them back. But it was just so damn easy. We have this Ugh. device that... Cassie Lang creates in secret that needs Kang the Conqueror in the quantum realm, or at the very least, it needs Modok, who's familiar with some of this tech, to trigger this thing after the fact to get them into the quantum realm. But all of a sudden, she goes back and she knows how to trigger the damn thing in real time. Like, come on, you have no lead up to her being able to create some portal using that. Like, how does that work? The second yeah. piece of that is he should, I'm sorry, Scott Lang should be dead. In my opinion, the sacrifice play, don't let her come back and save him. Make him grab a hold of Kang and jump off that damn building. Whatever it takes, but Scott Lang should be dead. Those are stakes. Then I believe that Kang is worth, and leave Kang in the quantum realm. And we don't know how he gets out. We just know he gets out. But if you have him fall off, Scott keeps him, the portal closes, Kang's pissed, beats the shit out of Scott Lang, finishes beating him to death, walks away. Now I'm bought into Kang. Yeah, I'm already hearing that. I'm like, damn, I, that would have blown me away. Yeah. Blown me away. 
Plus, you have stakes, and now we're pissed. Now I want to see the next Marvel movie because who else are they going to kill? What else is going to happen? And that should be, I mean, that's what it should be. There needs to be stakes, and there haven't been stakes for so long. Since Endgame, there haven't been any real stakes. Yeah, that's like a, that's a very fair point. That would be different. That would be radical, and that would be game-changing. And honestly, like, Ant-Man's kind of run its course. I don't think anyone's watching Marvel for Ant-Man. It's no good knock against Paul Rudd. He's doing his thing. But that would have been, man, damn, that would have been something. Yeah. Like you said, and they just didn't execute. Now, we've shit all over this movie, but it was funny. Like, I don't remember the last time I laughed that hard. Like, between, like you said, the dude, the gelatinous weird thing with the no holes. And the memory guy. The freaking memory, the robot guy with, like, the freaking laser face and, like, Dude. Stop thinking that. Stop thinking that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm trying. Stop. Please. Stop. Uh, I laughed a lot during this movie. What do you say? He's like, you're a really nice guy. Whatever you say. He's like, really nice guy. No, not, yep. no. You don't believe that. That would be <laughs> so funny. Yeah. Or well, my favorite part from the guy. <laughs> my favorite part still was when he is the mind guy said you have seven holes or whatever, and Scott then Paul Rudd's character Scully took to like literally like three it. seconds. He was like, Yeah, yeah. That's correct. <laughs> it's accurate. <laughs> that got me to laugh the most. That was funny. Yeah. Yeah, I laughed a lot in this movie. But I think that was all it was, right? So it's just there was some funny parts. And and don't get me wrong, like visually, actually a lot of people have been shitting on this movie for some of the visuals, but and there were moments where the CGI was bad. It just felt wrong because this movie did use that tech that the Mandalorian created, the big dome mm-hmm. thing, because it just made sense for him and I get it. And there were a couple of parts where the scenes in the background looked a little wonky because of it. But I think visually it was stunning. A lot of colorful, weird, interesting things to see. It felt like Star Wars. Kinda. I hated it because of because like it felt like they took a lot of Star Wars scenery and a lot of the weird characters. And everything. I was like, I had to turn to Taz like, you hate this because it feels like Star Wars, and she was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So I mean, visually it was it was beautiful movie That's and nice. it was funny. It just wasn't a great. And this is true for all movies, too. I think they, they're they starting to suffer as individual movies because of the tie-ins to Marvel, because we all expect something. And, and that's kind of on us, right, where our expectations are so high because Marvel did so good in the first few phases of the, the Infinity Saga. They did so good nine times out of ten that now we have that level of expectation. But even this movie, I don't think would have stood on its own regardless as a great movie it's it's a eh, movie so but i mean it wasn't terrible that's the weirdest part about this movie like i don't go ah this movie sucked balls it's just like this movie was eh." aggressively mediocre Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's kind of a conundrum that way like it just a lot of money for something that just didn't work out very much i don't think i'll watch it again yeah i don't know that i would either i think there's better things to watch for sure. I'll skip all the Modoc parts because that's what got me cracking up, especially uh, when he goes down to the core. He's like, Darren, no response. Yeah. Darren, Modoc, yep, here. <laughs> but like the, yeah. wait, wait, loved I loved all until, like, I liked all until the don't be a dick thing. And then it just, it was like one too many for me. Mm. Yeah. And I, I was okay with that because they actually had yeah. the tie in to Darren Lee. And I think that's why I was okay with, 
the change because Modoc in the comics is this guy. He was just a researcher that worked for AIM, a company called AIM, which we saw in Ant-Man 3, kind of a weird version of AIM. And this guy, his whole thing was to make, create science that made himself smarter than he actually was, like, so to enhance his brain. And eventually it became so big. That's why he ends up in that bodysuit. And it, I mean, the visually, it was pretty accurate. Like he's a giant head with some really little limbs. <laughs> it was just how we got there that was different. And I like that tie-in because we had some backstory to Darren versus this just random person that was from AIM as MODOK. And I didn't mind like the whole don't be a dick because at the end of the day, like for a long time, Darren from the first Ant-Man, I mean, he was Hank Pym's protege. Like he was a good man. And so you see that whole don't be a dick thing. And it was just, yeah, it was a little much at times. Like it was because he was, there was no seriousness to MODOK whatsoever. No. But yeah, I laughed my ass off at MODOK. And I shouldn't have. Like I was mad at myself for being so entertained <laughs> by the MODOK character. Uh, don't get me wrong though. Like I definitely laughed a, a good bit in this movie, but it's the art of being able to laugh, but being able to create something that feels serious and impactful and, Ant-Man is always in Taurus War more of the slapstick humor, but it was just, it was, it was too much. Yeah, I can see that. Because it didn't like advance the story at all with the humor. It was just thrown in there just for fun. Because like yeah. the best joke was the whole joke, right? The holes, but, and then really, <laughs> over anything. Oh, that was so funny. He's like, I have holes. <laughs> they like yeah. suck those dudes in. The payoff was that like, he ate people. That was the payoff. <laughs> it was pretty yeah, going going back to Cassie Lang's character, I just whether it was poor acting or just bad writing, like her character just never really felt like it added to the movie. Just kind of felt like a whiny teenager. I don't know, maybe I just being being annoying and mean, so we can not focus on that. But her being able to to open that portal at the end, and her being able to to fight in a way that she was like handling a lot of these bad guys. I'm like, oh, like probably again a classic case of. Oh, it took you like one time to hit the button and punch. And then you're like an expert at it. And I always hate when movies do that because it just takes out the believability of anybody can be a superior. If you're that good, then you're more powerful than, than Darren's character, the super assassin. Where I'm like, oh, you, you just defeated him. Like, that's not believable. And all this dude's a killing machine. Yeah, I thought they forced that character a lot. And I think yeah, it's because go. they're you aiming better than me. Well, uh, force. Exactly well, it. it's, I think they're based on what their, their previous, like, I mean, we got Miss Marvel. We got, there's a lot of, it feels like the young Avengers. I feel like there's a young Avengers product coming. And so we have all these young heroes that are being created and built up and Cassie Lang, her character in the comic is called stature. And that's what it felt like is, Oh, we have to introduce these characters. She's been in movies in the past we can just throw her into this and make up some backstory about how she's been practicing in secret with Janet and, you know, and Hank. And now all of a sudden she's full on superhero mode. So I'm with you. Felt very forced. Didn't do anything to add to the movie. In fact, it distracted. Like the, the hugging scene when they were both super large, like that, that to me is the scene of scenes where it's just, I was like, what's happening right now? Like that's where too many jokes felt forced. Like we don't like the scene is not, capturing anything for me yeah i agree all right should we rate this thing we've been shitting on it for long enough i think <laughs> let's do it all right i'll go first look i didn't love this movie but i didn't hate it like 
I think that's the one thing that Marvel does have going for it is it doesn't matter how bad a movie is. They still find a way to be entertaining at times or at least in some ways. Like in the, the last two that I can think of is this one. And then, of course, we shit all over the last Thor too. Like it was, there were so many stupid force things in that one, but I was still entertained for a lot of it. So it's it's kind of a double-edged sword with Marvel at this point. However, I will say that as the resident Marvel super fan leading into this, and I am starting to really question what the hell they're doing because Mattson can attest this and probably Alec to a certain degree listening to past episodes. Like I defended Marvel tooth and nail for a long time because of what they did with the infinity saga. And yeah, they had some hiccups in there, but overall that was an amazing run of 20 movies, right? It was outrageous. And now it used to be their misses were hitting like one-offs right now. It's their successes like black Panther two are one-offs. And so that makes me nervous. And I'm, I'm starting to to feel a lot like Matson in this and man, we're all agreeing with Matson way too much in this podcast today, I think, but, <laughs> but like I, I'm starting to lose faith in where they're headed. And I just don't think they're doing it justice. I think they may have gotten themselves in over their heads. And so this movie to me is a direct reflection of that. It still has the Marvel entertainment value, but it's convoluted. It's messy. It doesn't actually have any stakes to it. There's no true value that I can see even in a grander purpose for this movie. And I, that's hard for me because I'm like, I love these characters and I'm really, I've been really excited you guys have heard me talk about Kang the Conqueror and how, you know, for a few podcasts now where I'm like, dude, this guy's no joke. And then I'm like, eh. And then they introduced him in Loki and they did a, they introduced a version of him in Loki and it was amazing. Amazing. They haven't done so well since then. So it's tough. From a movie perspective, I think this is barely a middle of the road. I'm giving it a two and a half. I, I just, I wanted to like it way more and there were parts that I really enjoyed, but and taking it out of the Marvel perspective, it's just a mediocre movie. And yeah, to your reviewer's point, Alec, it's aggressively so. JJ, quick question. In terms of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, Mm -hmm. is that going to be a standalone or is that going to be tied into what we're now experiencing? It looks standalone-ish to me. My guess it'll be standalone and then they'll have a credit scene. Because my understanding, especially with James Gunn, the way he's with DC now, we're not going to get anything remotely close to an iteration of the Guardian of the Galaxy, like what we've seen. And a lot of the actors from it, Zoe Saldana, what's his face? Dave Batista. Dave Batista. They're all done. They've said, we're not going to make any more without James Gunn and James Gunn can't make any more. So yeah, this will be, I think it'll be a standalone. I'm sure they'll have a post-credit scene that'll tie Kang in in some way, shape or form. But I think it'll be a pretty standalone movie that ends the Guardians of the Galaxy run. So, Alec. All right. I liked Thor Love and Thunder, (laughs) but I think that's just because the stupid comedy landed with me more than it didn't. In this one, it was the exact opposite. The stupid comedy did not land well enough for me to enjoy it. So I'm going to give this a two overall. Mm. I'm not going to watch it again. Uh, one of the biggest beefs I had with it, and we didn't even talk about it, was Michelle Pfeiffer's character oh, not communicating no shit. anything. Like this whole kind of trying to be secretive when 
almost if you speak Kane's name, he's going to come. That's what it felt like that he's all knowing or can hear you hear your thoughts. It's like communicate what's going on. Let everybody know you clearly have information that you're not sharing and not sharing it going to lead you to the place you don't want to go. So I didn't like that. And then just, I mean, the jokes were there individually, but Matt and I kind of talked about this is it didn't really lead to anywhere else. It was very clear, just a standalone joke that, you could tell was just thrown in because Marvel's known for their one-liners. Yeah. So yeah, two. Yeah, it wasn't quite middle of the road. I hate it. I've agreed with Madsen and Javier. On the same <laughs> it's, it's terrible. And it to your point, fun. Janet Van Dyne was okay sending Scout Lang back in there at the end of part two, but now all of a sudden we have to steer clear yeah. of it. Yeah, it, it. That was a mess too. All right, Madsen, bring us home. Yeah, I didn't even think about that part. But you guys are gonna hate it because we're all we're all there. I was thinking two. This is a two for sure. I've said so much about this movie. It didn't excite me. I'm I'm most disappointed because Kang now in my mind, as JJ said, is weakened. He is not the super arch villain that JJ knows him from the comics. I as a like 90% of you that are gonna watch this. He's just weak. And now when he comes back in a super OP and is beaten up on a bunch of adventures. I'm going to have a problem with that because unless they do some way to make it more believable, because I'm going to remember this movie and how they started it off. And it's, as we know in life, a lot of it is about first impressions. And while it, Jonathan Majors acted King very well, the presentation of King as a super villain fell flat for me. Definitely. Yeah. It's an eh <laughs> movie. Yeah. Oh. Hopefully it wasn't an eh podcast talking about this eh movie. But I thought we sufficiently shit on it enough for it to be fun. With that, Alec, tell everybody where they can find you. Well, we've been waiting for this creative oh, yeah. It's better well, than the whole movie we watched. I hope it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for tuning into our review of Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania. Do you agree with our verdict? Don't tell us. We don't want to know. What we do want to know is what the Uzi alien tasted like. My bet, raspberry. <laughs> if you are new to the channel or a longtime listener, we appreciate you stopping in. If you like what you see, we have more. Lots more. Check us out on every major platform, including Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Ghana, or YouTube to catch everything we are releasing because it is a lot. JJ has been showing his gaming prowess in his The Last of Us Part 1 playthrough, which goes live on Tuesdays. Come join those. Our live shows are personally our favorites. We have the most fun interacting with everybody who's there, so stop on in. Special thanks to our current patron, Walking Dead Season 5. You are come up with witty theme later. Oops. Uh, if you are fans of the podcast and are interested in supporting us directly, check us out on Patreon, where every dollar goes towards hiring an actual call to action and outro writer. Thanks again, and I will send it back to the Sultan of Swat, the Colossus of Clout, and JJ. Oh, I love it. Man, as always, we appreciate you tuning in. We will catch you on the next one. Bye. Hasta la vista, baby. Cinematic out.